Good afternoon and welcome back to the Conservatarian Exchange on the Liberty Block, hosted today by only three of us. That would be Ed, Ed, and myself, Steve. Luckily, I don't have to put one Ed before the other and get in trouble. So thank you for having the same name, guys. Um, I think we should have more Eds. Find more, more Eds. Higher Eds. Um, right, right. I am not following the story that closely, so I hope one of you is. Apparently, we have a new Speaker of the House. We do. Let me yawn, former, everybody. <laughs> former Vice Chairman of the uh, Republican Conference and uh, not someone anybody knows a lot about. Uh, he... Um, uh, his first speech was about how he's going to, uh, his first bill is going to be a bill to help Israel, which the America First people did not, <clears throat> did not particularly take kindly to. Um, and uh, I think he's, you know, I think he's partially sort of in between MAGA and Rhino. So we'll see how he does. Adam, you're not, uh, you're yawning. So explain. What are Republicans good for? They're not doing anything. I don't really care who their leader is right now. Okay, so you don't think he's moving the uh, thing at all? He's probably a decent pick, but I, I don't feel like, you know, I, I criticize them for talking. All we're going to do is talk about it. Let's see him do something and then we'll talk about him. Okay, bringing the obvious question, what would you like him to do? I'd like him to start, I'd like him to, to start using the power of the purse to, to affect the political debate in the country. So now I understand we're coming up against another uh, budget deadline, right? Mid-November. Mid-November, which is not far. We're back again three weeks. So, and then some people are saying, of course, there's no time to do anything right. And some people are saying, make time to do something right. So, Adam, you're saying you would like him to go to the brink in November. Of course. Okay. I mean, you know, when you look at what's going on in the world right now, I, I don't know that, I mean, we're, we're talking like we have luxuries that I'm not sure we have. World War III seems like it's about to break out. Seems like our leaders are all gung-ho about it. It seems like the summer of 1914 is, is back upon us. And, you know, here we are debating whether or not Mike Johnson is going to be a good speaker. Who cares? The world is on fire. Well, I mean, what are the specific policy uh, prescriptions to put out the fire, though? That's the thing. It's like, I, I, I understand, like, you know, we have all of these potential... Um, you know, policy desires, um, you know, the border, the war in Ukraine, the war in, in Gaza, Israel, and the, um, you know, the, the calls for World War III from various people to attack Iran and there's China and, um, you know, there's the inflation and the overspending. I mean, we've got all of these. So I, I wonder... I wonder what policy, what, what, what is the hill to die on? You know what I mean? Because if we're going to, 
close the government indefinitely or half the government or whatever it ends up being. Um, what is that hill to die on that we're, we think is going to be a winner uh, electorally for 24? Because if it's not a winner for 24, then what's the point of doing it? If it's a loser for 24, then all you're going to do is stall catastrophe and you know the dems will have super majorities in both houses and biden will be re-elected and it everything will get even worse than it is now so i mean what what is the the political hill to die on that that we're going you know that we're that we're willing to fight now i i think you know i i don't think um ukraine is that hill i i don't particularly think the israel gaza uh Wars that hell. I, the border might be. Uh, everybody hates Biden's border policy. Um, and so, you know, no money shall be spent assisting refugees from resettling in the United States or something like that. You know, the power of the purse. I mean, that might be a winner. Um, but you, if you're going to close down the government for months or, you know, the entire fiscal year, um, it better be for a reason that that the Republicans think is a winner with the, with the voting public. I think the border is a winning issue. I think weaponization of law enforcement is a winning issue. I think there are winning issues out there. I mean, I don't have a policy paper to, to, to share with everybody today, but uh, you're right. Ukraine is not that issue. Israel is not that issue. Uh, I don't know what is. I mean, you know, if somebody picks up, you know, picks up the, the mantle on, on COVID, I think COVID is a, is a potential issue. I think people are waiting for somebody to, to, to lead on that issue. I mean, the, you know, the PrEP Act is sort of a in the weeds kind of, kind of piece of legislation, but making it so we can sue Pfizer and sue Moderna the way they changed the law in New York so that you can sue Trump. I think that would be a, a decent winner. Well, there is interesting uh, there is interesting developments on that. I, I know that isn't the biggest uh, story of the week, but there are some interesting developments on the on the vaccine front, <clears throat> and that is that. Well, there's two basic things. One, when a vaccine is approved, even given an EUA, it's approved not just for what it what it is what's in it but the process by which it's produced and the process has to be described in detail and then you at the end of the process you get this thing and you you submit it for testing and whatnot and what apparently happened again this is uh, you know just nothing on the internet so who knows but apparently what happened is that the process that Pfizer BioNTech used to create their vaccine was so onerous and um, <clears throat> difficult that when they went to mass produce it, they used a completely different process. So even though I got the Pfizer vaccine, so even though a particular uh, process slash product was created um, and given a, an emergency authorization, that's not what was given to the general public, including myself. So that, that is one development, you know, if it's true, I, I, have, a, I, ha, I have great confidence in the source. So that's one, one possibility. The second possibility is, um, 
you know, the, the Pfizer, you know, and Moderna too, but Pfizer has gone to great lengths to keep the vaccine out of the hands of anyone, um, any independent people, um, but they failed. And so uh, somehow um, independent researchers got a hold of the Pfizer-BioNTech vaccine and they found that it had, you know, just off the shelf, it had been contaminated by a number of really horrific things. Um, DNA, so it's supposed to be an RNA vaccine. So DNA, DNA can get incorporated into your own body's DNA. That's bad with the, you know, a, a drug. Uh, and then there's these uh, plasmids, which are little, uh, you know, gadgets that uh, also can be harmful. And they found that in these various lots that they did the tests on that these were, uh, that these contaminants existed a fairly wide range of the Pfizer BioNTech vaccine. Again, it's the internet, so who knows? But that's, I, I tend to think that uh, that is true. And so Steve Kirsch, who has been leading the, um, the fight against the vaccine has said that this opens up avenues to sue Pfizer um, because they didn't follow the process that they promised and there is demonstrable harmful uh, contaminants in the vaccine. And so he is going to try to um, initiate lawsuits, uh, getting, you know, he's accumulating defendants trying to initiate lawsuits to, to test this out. I have no idea whether it's going to work. We all know the justice system isn't uh, so it'll be interesting to see whether, whether this, you know, whether this works and there's any payback. Certainly I was, uh, mildly injured by the vaccine. I had, I, I sought medical attention. That's what they, you know, when, if you have the vaccine and you seek medical attention, that's a vaccine injury. And I did that. My wife did that. We were both injured. Um, both of us are mostly fine now. Um, so the injury wasn't permanent, hopefully. Um, but you know, if the number of people who were injured by this vaccine in one way or another is in the tens of millions. So it'll be interesting to see what happens. It would, you know, obviously if, if this was allowed to go through, then Pfizer is done as a company, it would be sued out of existence. So I don't see this as an electoral issue, A, because I think it's in the past, and B, because in a Trump versus Biden, you can't use it in, Trump's, they're both on the wrong side of it, basically. So how does it become an electoral issue for next year? Unlike yeah, you, I mean, I, unless I don't think Trump is a shoo-in. Okay, so you think Trump is still possibly going to be bumped out by the court cases? No, I think he might lose a fair and square election. The presidential election, not a primary. No, the primary. You think he could lose a primary? You're on drugs, dude. There's no way. I mean, but I okay. You know, okay. anything can happen. Why do you think so? Because his argument is not a winning argument. His argument is that I'm entitled to this nomination, and he's not willing to go out and fight for it. He's not willing to go out and and make his case. I don't think he's good. I don't think he's going to win. But nobody seems to care. Yeah, his 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 strong supporters don't care. I mean, they do boo him when he mentions the vaccine. So I mean, it's not like they're completely mindless robots. 
but I'm I mean, not talking about his 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 hardcore supporters. I'm talking about the other people. His hardcore supporters don't make up 51% of the Republican Party. But the, what, you don't need anything near that to win the primaries, right? You need a very small amount to say you ran away with. I think, the, I think the herd's going to thin pretty quickly. I, I think it's going to thin pretty quickly. You don't think if uh, he wins two of the first three that everybody will just drop out right away? From whoever's still left, Vivek. I think he's going to probably win South Carolina, but I don't think he's going to win Iowa or New Hampshire. You don't think Trump is going to win Iowa and New Hampshire? If you were anywhere near Virginia, I, I would take you up on that as a bet um, for <laughs> like a beer or something. Because uh, Bud Light, yeah. Yeah, Bud Light, right, exactly. Um, <clears throat> you think DeSantis can win Iowa? Yes. And New Hampshire? Yes. You might have a better chance in New Hampshire than this. All right. Well, you can say yes, but I mean, my opinion is that he can't. And I say, you know, the polls right now are just devastating for anyone other than Trump. So why do you believe that he can win those two states? I don't believe the polls. First of all, we've talked about this before. The polls that I've seen, I've looked at the methodologies. They oversample Democrats. They oversample registered voters rather than likely voters. There's a whole bunch of things that are wrong with the the sampling. Uh, And and on top of that, they're doing phone calls. And most people are using cell phones today and other devices that weed out calls. So it's really hard to get a sample. All true. And if it was 52-48, I would agree with you. But it's it's like 60-10-5-3. I mean, it's just I saw I just saw DeSantis polled in at eight percent somewhere. Yeah. I mean, I hope you're right that he gets some kind of uh, momentum in either one of those two states, you know, either New Hampshire or Iowa. But. We're getting close. Kim Reynolds, governor of Iowa, Kim Reynolds is going to endorse DeSantis. She's not going to endorse. And I think that's going to be a big endorsement. And I think that's going to give DeSantis momentum in, in Iowa. As the blind men say, we shall see. Yeah. It is interesting that, that um, you know, <clears throat> we're talking, uh, you know, we, we can all talk about Trump and all of his, his flaws, and, and they are legion. His policy positions, which he didn't write, are fine. <clears throat> but I, I, I've, I said before, you know, 90% of the people don't vote on issues, right? So it's, it's hard to... It's hard to say, well, you know, DeSantis is better on the issues. He might very well be, and but that doesn't matter. It's all it's all about like, I don't know, something how they make you feel, know, really. Well, yeah, it's how you make you feel, but I mean it, it is funny because there are people who look at Trump and like um think of him, you know, as the god emperor. And there are other people who look at Trump, as we discussed before, and are just revolted by him. You know, I mean, it's just absolute revulsion. And so it's. Um, I think it's, it's like, fascinating what a Jesus like figure he is to some people. It is weird. Yeah, it, 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 it is weird. He has so many flaws personally, like I don't find it be personable either. Um, does anybody think his uh, growing legal problems are going to have any effect? Apparently, Jenna Ellis flipped. Um 
Powell obviously went down. Mark Meadows apparently is flipping. Is he vulnerable? And will it matter? None of them, none of them are pleading to the RICO charge. But they're all so saying they're important. going to talk to prosecutors. And oh, yeah. at a certain but you know what? I, I, again, you are the expert, Eduardo. But, uh, you know, when you plead guilty to one charge, um, can they ask you about other charges? I thought they can ask you about anything, can't they? Can ask you about anything. Well, no, I'm... Well, I mean, but yeah, but don't you still have a Fifth Amendment right not to talk about like if you plead guilty to right. you have a Fifth don't Amendment? You give they, that they have up? a right. They have a right to withdraw the plea. I mean, that's part of the negotiation. When you, you sign a plea agreement, aren't you signing away your Fifth Amendment? Right, but they have to, I only mean, for the charge of, that you're guilty on. I don't that's think all, so. It's all part of the negotiation, right? They promise they won't prosecute you for X, Y, and Z crimes. You'll plead guilty to A, B, and C crimes, and and you and in return you're going to give testimony against a specific specific defendant or specific defendants for specific crimes. It's a basic contract, right? And you can contract away your rights. I just I'm just wondering if at any point this is going to start to hurt him um, electorally or. Like we said, some people think he's God, so it won't even matter. Because it seems like it's not going in his favor right now. My thing about it, you know, and I read some of the articles that you shared with us, you know, in particular, the, the Colorado case where they're trying to invoke the 14th Amendment and he tried to move to dismiss it. And, you know, they said that it has to go to trial over the insurrection. And... Anyone who's listened to the show knows how revolted I am that it was been called an insurrection and that and how they're treating the January 6 prisoners. But on some level, it's just just desserts for me to Trump because Trump did not defend these people. He did not defend Sidney Powell. He did not defend Jenna Ellis. None of these people. They all they all were out on a limb. And and Trump didn't have the vision to be able to say, you know what? If it's an insurrection to all those people, it's going to be an insurrection to me. And I need to stand up and fight for them. That They need to be my hill to die on. And he didn't stand up for them. And I, I don't want to see him get convicted. I don't agree with what's going on. But there's a little bit of he's getting what he deserves. I don't disagree with that. I'm wondering, will it nudge the primaries a little bit? If he's like in really deep trouble come January... Will that move some percentage points towards DeSantis and away from him? And Why is there a conditional no. on that? I mean, how do you see this ending any way other than some Democrat getting a conviction and putting him in jail? I mean, what other possible outcome do you see? Okay, I don't see other than assassination. Yeah. I, I see assassination. To, he's not going to jail till every appeal is is gone, and he'll be a hundred before that. That that's where I believe about jail. Totally but, disagree. Okay, but getting a conviction relatively easy but if he were to be convicted or looks like he's going to be convicted of something at the time of the first one two three primaries are any republicans gonna you know back off of him and move towards DeSantis? because after the primaries are over none of this matters i don't think i think i mean it's hard to tell i think it could have the opposite effect too i think people could rally behind him if that happens but my, my question still stands how do you or how does Trump think this is going to end other than with a conviction and them prosecuting and, and putting him in jail? I mean, 
They're not going to make a deal with him. The Democrat base is howling for him the way we've been howling for Hillary for for eight years now. They're not going to let it go. This is it's so obvious to me. Okay, but appeals appeals are going to run for years, and no judges. They don't have to let him out on a. They don't have to let him free on appeal. Um, it's awful common, is it not for any type of thing like this? We're not dealing with a common situation. I get it, but I. If you really want to see an insurrection, I would say try to jail Trump before an appeal. I would. That's what I want to see an insurrection. I would say lock people in their homes and tell them they can't get out and can't go to work and can't go to church. That okay, but you got to remember that was Trump doing it. What? That was Trump doing it to an extent. Here, this is Trumper is going to be mad about that happening. I don't know. I. I am, I'm not predicting safe streets if that were to happen. So it's a very it's a it's really a bad situation because we have two candidates, both who are awful, awful. Um, in you know, in in various ways. Again, like I said, I think when there are position papers put out by the Trump campaign, I tend to agree with them because they are kind of conservatarian in their outlook. Um, but you know, when you listen to Trump speak nowadays, he he's certainly not the Trump from 2016. That's for sure. Um, it's more annoying than it is revolutionary. I, mean, I don't know where you go. The fact that those are our two candidates likely is beyond shameful to the country. I want to go back to what you said when you started talking about Johnson. Um, and you said the first thing he said, said was about helping Israel. Helping Israel in what way? What did he say? Oh, I yeah, I don't have the computer set up or I would play his speech. It's just the first bill that he is going to bring to the floor is a bill to help Israel, I assume, with military and financial aid for this. Yeah, that was in your article, Steve, that you shared with us. Which one? Uh, Let me see. I'm sorry to be somewhat ignorant, but I I don't, what are we going to help Israel do? Again, Israel is between a rock and a hard place, to be be honest. Um, In Gaza, I, I don't, know what they're going to do and i don't know what they can do yeah i mean i'll read from the article Stephen. okay uh, this is the one on npr the npr article it says uh johnson moved quickly after his election to restart the legislative business of the house with a vote on a resolution in support of israel quote we are going to show not only israel but the entire world that the barbarism of hamas that we have all seen on our television screens is wretched and wrong, Johnson said. Quote, we are going to stand for the good in that conflict, unquote. That's a resolution, which means it's nothing. That's not doing anything. It's just, <laughs> we think Hamas are I, bad people. And... I think they I didn't, well, I mean, I know the Senate passed a resolution 97 to 0 in support of Israel. Um, three people were out of town, and but they would have voted for it too. So I, I'd be interesting to see what the squad does with regard to a resolution in support of, oh, of Israel. That would be the only just like they fight anything against anti-Semitism. But I don't think a resolution means anything, and I don't think it even ticks off the MAGA crowd. Who cares? Hamas bad, Israel good. Who gives a hoot? As far as helping them in other ways, I mean, obviously, you know, I'm following the Israeli thing as close as anybody can follow it. I, I don't know what an end game is. I don't know. 
how anybody could come to any real victory. My personal feeling at the moment is Israel's not going to go in on the ground. I think Biden's stalling for time. I think this whole hostage thing is a song and dance to stall Israel from going anywhere. Frankly, I think Netanyahu doesn't want to do anything, and he's looking for a way to climb out down from the branch. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm not. I think they have to do some limited limited incursion and then, you know, do something and then declare victory. And go That's home. only because they opened their mouths so much and said, we're going to flatten it, et cetera, et cetera. Um, I don't know. I don't know how many men they're willing to, to sacrifice for it. It's tough. But Ed, Ed M., you made the comment about World War Three. I happen to think this is going to peter out. You really think there's a, a chance at this could just blow up? I think that World War III is, we're on the, we're on the brink in, in multiple places. I mean, you know, the Ukraine-Russia war could, could blow up. I mean, our government is trying everything it can to get into a war with Russia. That's really what's going on. And that's going to be World War III if it happens. We're a war with Russia, not proxy, like actual American troops against Russian troops in Asia. That's what you're talking about. I mean, the Chinese are sending warships to the Mediterranean and to the Persian Gulf area. Um, you know, the Muslim world is a pretty big, you know, a lot of it's got a, a lot of population, not a big army, but. <clears throat> It has the potential to really spiral out of control. It has the potential. I don't know. For some reason, I don't see it happening at the moment. And everybody's saber rattling and turning up the volume on that in some in some ways. But I don't know. I'm not getting the sense. I, I do see. I do there. see people. Um, I I do see people calling for war with Iran. Some some really. Um, yeah, John. And, and like pipes. Nobody in their right mind likes the mullahs of Iran. I mean, they, 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 those are crazy people. And, and they have been at war with the United States since 1979. There's no question. But Iran is not Iraq. And a war with Iran would be, you know, in our current weakened condition, would be a disaster. So I, I think that, uh, I think even Biden knows that. So, yeah, I just don't what makes I don't you think that would make him back off. I mean, Again, you're, you're assuming that Biden wants to do what's best for the United States. I think he wants to bring us into a humiliating defeat. I, I, that's part of why I think that we're, we're going to wind up in a war somewhere. Well, I'm not sure what Biden wants or what Biden doesn't want, but I, I think the people around him, you know, the Obama crowd, uh, tend not to want that. I, I, the, the problem is that history is replete with examples of regimes not surviving losing wars. And, um, you know, occasionally, you know, or, or battles even, not just wars. Uh, occasionally, you know, you'll see like the Roman Republic survived canon, but um, a lot of the times when you have a devastating defeat like that, the entire regime collapses. Now, in, in our case, the regime is our, you know, is our ruling class, the oligarchy who really controls the United States rather than, you know, the constitution and democracy as we have learned about it in school. Um, I, I think if the United States lost the war, there would be hell to pay. And I, I think the ruling class 
knows that and doesn't want to do it. Can you operationalize for me what you mean, lose a war? Well, if we... It, I mean, they're not going over here to invade us, right? Well, I, okay. So when they say, you know, it wants us to get into an, a war with Russia, I mean, what does that mean? You know, send troops to Ukraine to fight the Russians. Okay. But we, we could, in fact, do that. Um, but, you know, fighting, fighting Russia in that area is, you know, would be, would be hard. And we would, you know, we would potentially lose a lot of, uh, a lot of people. And, and what could be worse is, like, we could lose all of them. You know, we could send two divisions over and lose them all. Um, in the Pacific, if we tried to defend Taiwan and, and the Chinese caught us our, off guard, we could lose, like, you know, 20 ships and 30,000 American sailors. Um, you know, a lot of planes or whatever. I mean, we could lose. So I, I don't think anybody's going to necessarily, you know, invade the United States or, or take us over uh, more so than they're already doing. I don't, um, but without I do war. think that without war. So, yeah, I mean, I do think that that, you know, we could we could lose badly. And, and like, you know, in the beginning of the Second World War, we really had a run of of bad luck. Um, in all over Europe and uh, well, not just Europe, but I guess Europe was gone by then, but you know, in, in North Africa, we, we lost um, a couple of battles in the Pacific. We, you know, the battle of Coral Sea was a disaster. There were some things, but there, it, it wasn't a complete fiasco. You know what I mean? It wasn't like, like they just destroyed everything and we had nothing left in theater. So I, I think if, they, if that happens, the United States, a political system will come under a lot of, of uh, question. I mean, I can see we get a bloody nose, et cetera. I don't, I don't know what that would do politically. Would that be a good thing in a sense? Would that bring- Well, losing 30,000 American troops is never a good thing. I, I no, don't know. I mean, I mean politically, that's... listen, would that turn the country around or the country would go more downhill? I, I mean, I think that ruling class would lose a lot of respect from the people. I think that that would, you know, enhance the populist sort of revolt against the garbage elite that are ruining us. And, and you know, the, the Ivy League people who staff all of our major industries and Okay, so can let me I'm um, gonna ask it this way. Did we win a war in Afghanistan? Did we lose the war in Afghanistan? Yeah, we we lost it, but the see I'm kind of thinking we lost at it very low cares, but nobody cares. At very low cost. Yeah, right. I mean we, so what does we, it mean? We, we lost we lost the war in Iraq, we lost the war in Syria, we lost the war in Afghanistan, we lost the war. Even when we lost the war in uh Vietnam, you know that. American troops had been pulled out of Vietnam for two years before the North, North Vietnamese invaded the South. So it was, it was like we had Vietnam, Vietnamese-ized, Vietnamized the war. Um, and so even though we lost a lot of people, Vietnamization, yes. Um, even though the war was lost to the communists, uh, the United States didn't take as big a black eye, but you know, and then, but there was the whole Watergate thing and President Ford and, and all of that. And, and so it wasn't as big, but I mean, we lose a couple of battle groups in the Pacific or a couple of divisions in Ukraine and that, or, you know. I'm just saying, why would that be worse than, than 
as not doing well in any of the other wars and leaving behind trillions of dollars of stuff in Afghanistan, would it matter? Well, because in all of those wars, we won the war and lost the peace. You know what I mean? Like in Afghanistan, we conquered Afghanistan and we ran it for many years. And when we left, the Taliban took over again. Um, and it's in Vietnam, we won every battle. Uh, and then when we left, the North Vietnamese invaded and, and you know, conquered the country. And, and this, you know, in Iraq, we won that war. Every battle we won, took over, destroyed, you know, Al Qaeda, ISIS, handed it over to the Shiites and, you know, essentially the Iranians. Um, that was losing the peace, not the war. If we actually lost the war, you know, actually our troops were defeated, crushed in battle. That, that's different. That's hard to hide. Let me ask you guys a question. If America, with or without Israel, overtly or covertly, started to bomb places in Iran, do you think Russia or China would actually directly join in a war or just yell, scream, and send money to Iran? Depends on what we bomb, right? Because like a lot of the Chinese oil comes from Iran. So if we were to destroy their oil terminals and their oil capabilities and whatnot, I think the Chinese would be very upset. So one of the things they're saying is that Biden's stalling Israel with the hostage game, but the other story out there is Biden's telling Israel, please don't do anything till we bring over more assets to protect our troops all over the Middle East. Begging, of course, the question, why do we have so many troops in the Middle East? But so I guess going back to what you said, Ed M, the idea is Hezbollah gets out of hand and starts hurting more Americans. America feels they have to do something with that nice fancy aircraft carrier and they start bombing somebody and or the quote head of the snake and actually bomb something in Iran. How much would they have to do in Iran before somebody would really want to tangle with the US? I mean, I'm talking more about bombing nuclear facilities or something, because that's the only yeah. way anything could really blow up. And is somebody really want to go into a war with the United States to protect Iran, especially if they thought Iran could lose? Well, we're not positioned to attack Iran. Where we're positioned is to attack Hezbollah and Syria. And that's kind of where I think the whole... Don't we have another know, sending, group now in the Gulf? We had a it's marine amphibious group in the Gulf, but I think it's being rerouted to the east. My understanding is besides the sending the Ford to the Mediterranean, they sent, I think, the Eisenhower. I'm not sure. another whole Yeah, the Eisenhower. I haven't looked lately, but it should still be steaming. It should still be steaming the Atlantic right now. No, I, I believe that they said they're sending that to the Gulf. So... Yeah. And again, is America, you know, what's the expression? Scratching the bear? I forget the expression. Tickling the bear? Poking the bear. Okay, the the there you go. Unnecessarily, is America only there to protect Israel? Does America really have an interest? By the way, why do we have so many troops in so many countries in the Middle East? Is that for Israel? Is that for oil? What is that? I think there's a combination of issues, but I think uh, Israel and oil kind of... Uh, are the majority of the answer. Yeah. I, you know, it, it's weird because like I, when, when this first started a couple of weeks ago, I said, you know, this could be really bad for Israel if they, you know, engage their entire army in Gaza, which they would need to do if they really were going to reconquer it. 
especially with the tunnels and everything. Then it would leave Hezbollah open to attack and, and the PLO uh, to, you know, rise up in the, in the West Bank. And that would be that would be bad. So my guess is, and this is my only guess, I don't know anything. My guess is the aircraft carriers were sent there and potentially uh, land aircraft. I read somewhere that I don't know anything for real, but I, I read that some land based aircraft are sent there. And that's specifically to uh, take on Hezbollah if Hezbollah starts attacking Israel. So they so, are, you know, they're I, playing the usual game. There's an attack every day, and there's a few people killed on each side every day, that kind of low key, similar yeah. war. It's almost like part of me says they're afraid to poke the Israeli bear because the West Bank isn't blowing up yet. And I don't know, are they afraid? Are they just biding their time? Because, yeah, three front war would be pretty difficult. Is America holding them down? I mean, Abbas is kind of backing Hamas, at least in words, but not really in actions. So I don't know. I just, I'm curious, what is the American interest? Is it only to, quote, protect Israel or is it protecting their own troops? But again, why are the troops there? So, Well, I think our we have a- was protecting the Saudis, the Israelis and oil. But I think our current interest, or I should say the current administration's in- interest is putting as many Americans in harm's way as he can and have them get killed. That's what I think is going to happen. I I think that I'm going to get my tinfoil hat out for that. I I don't think that's necessarily Biden. I don't think Biden wants to get Americans running the government. I mean, whether it's Biden or the Obama people, I mean, to me, it's, it's just like the, the idiocy of, of running down the strategic petroleum reserve, right? That was the dumbest thing you could do unless your goal was to weaken the country. Then it was brilliant. Well, why do you think he's not just dumb? He is dumb. Have you watched him? He's an idiot. Yeah, but we're not saying it's Biden. We're saying it's his whoever his handlers are. Um, that well, was, I mean, the I whole strategic know. petroleum reserve thing can be explained by um, by the, you know, the thing that infects all American decision-making these days, and that is short-term gain ignoring long-term pain. He wanted short-term gain, bringing the price of oil down. He's going to ignore long-term pain, refilling it at higher prices or, you know, running out when we need it. I I think everything, you know, if you look in business, if you look in government, look in military, if you look in anything, it's all short-term gain for long-term pain. Now, I agree the border is different. That is just uh, pain for the sake of pain. That is, we're going to do this because we need to destroy um, the United States. Uh, the, right. I think that's the, the safety. Model. The, the safety of, see, if you, the, the thing is, if most people like you and I were relatively safe and are, and we don't need the government, it's only when you're not safe that you need the government. So uh, it's the Clowered Piven strategy as applied to uh, immigration. Um, but Aren't even some government officials now admitting that the border can easily or already has admitted Hamas people and their ilk? Oh, yeah. So the threat level is really none of us are safe. Well, the, the interesting thing about, um, you know, Hamas is Sunni and they're really only allied to Iran for convenience sake. The Iranians hate them. Everybody hates them. I, I mean, you know, there's not. Yeah. Oh, Russia, take these poor Gazans. No, China, no. And no one wants them. Everybody hates them. 
But Hezbollah is the IRGC. Uh, and they have established a number of training camps, bases, uh, political things in South America. And uh, I think while Hamas may try to infiltrate the United States and they may succeed and they may have some terrorist act if the United States gets involved, um, Hezbollah is the real threat, especially in, from the South. They, there is a lot of Hezbollah activity in uh, South America right now, all under the direction of the Iranian government. There's really no reason and, to believe they couldn't hurt the United States in the United States right now. There's probably enough of them here who could hurt. Yeah, sure. Absolutely. And maybe don't I mean, look at the, look at the, you know, look at Sweden. Sweden, now we don't, there's not a lot of bombs being used in the United States. I, I don't know whether you've noticed that, but we don't have bombings. In Sweden, they have a, they have grenade attacks every week. Grenades. Like, when's the last time anybody saw a grenade in the United States, right? Except for, you know, the trophies that have been destroyed. In Sweden, they have grenade attacks every week. Now, how do grenades get into Sweden? Well, they get in the same way, uh, you know, all of these weapons get into uh, Europe by smuggling from the Middle East. So I, I think it's... Um, I think they could really do damage to the United States in a terroristic way, you know, create terror if they wanted to. And I think, I think they want to, but I, I think Hezbollah in particular are more disciplined than that. They are think everything the United States does, short-term gain, long-term pain. Hezbollah, the Iranians, the Russians, definitely the Chinese, very much long-term thinkers. Um, and that's why they're so dangerous. So what would it take for the United States to in any way attack Hezbollah in Lebanon? Well, they supposedly have 100,000, you know, missiles, rockets. If they, you know, launched, started launching them, not in onesies and twosies, but in 1,000sies and 2,000sies, I think, yeah, that the United States would go in. At Israel, then the United States would? Or only yeah, if Hezbollah, if Hezbollah started attacking Israel in, in a serious way, um, the, the U.S. would probably go in. That is my view. See, and I don't know if that's a good idea. I, personally, I think Israel could handle two fronts at the moment. Could they do it long term? Not so sure. But apparently their air force is in really good shape at the moment. So I don't know. And the average American- Yeah, like the United is, States, our air force is the best in the world. And our ground forces are depleted. Right. And so I, I think Israel's the same way. I don't think America or Americans would want Americans to fight Hezbollah because they're bombing Israel. I just don't think, I'm not even sure if Israel would. That's a different question. But, you know, the idea of Americans dying to protect Israelis is something Israel says they don't want. And I don't think Americans want. So I, I think Hezbollah would have to actually shoot a missile and an asset of the states to warrant such a thing. I, you know, again, we've, we've talked about this before, but like, remember the hospital bombing? There's a bomb. Parking lot bomb. The, hospi the, the hospital was destroyed and 500 patients were killed. Well, okay, it wasn't the hospital, it was the, it was the parking lot. And it still 500 people, because yeah. anyway, the whole point is, I still don't know what happened. 
I, I, I've been trying to piece that together. I've been listening. I've, I put a report in the chat. I still don't want to happen. And I think the fog of war is um, such, and the fact that, you know, the United States government lies. They've lied I mean, from the Tet, uh, not the Tet Offensive, the, you know, what started the Vietnam War. Sorry, my brain doesn't work. Um, the uh, Gulf of Tonkin resolution. Yeah. yeah, I mean, the, the government lies. It, you know, I think that if the United States wanted to get in, if the United States government wanted to get involved for whatever reason, they would figure out a way to blame it on the other side. Right. So that means at the moment they don't want to get involved. Correct. Right. And it's part of what Biden's doing to stall Israel from doing something is really. Well, I, you know, I, I think there really is a. There really is something called deterrence. And I think the aircraft carrier is trying to deter Hezbollah. That's what I think it is. I, I don't think it's, you know, again, Biden's an idiot. His advisors are, are anti-American um, for the most part. Uh, but, you know, the generals and admirals, you know, they're political and they want to, you know, ruin the military, but they aren't. They really do believe in the national security state believes in deterrence. They think deterrence was the thing that prevented the Soviet Union from taking over the world and eventually collapsing and not having World War III. I think there is a strong idea that deterrence really works. Right now, our position with regard to China and Taiwan is we want to deter China from invading Taiwan. That's the position. We want to be strong enough to deter China. I don't know whether we are or not. But that's the that's the position. But I think China deterrence sent ships. is where the are they sending ships to the Persian Gulf, to the Med. Why? What's their official reason why they're sending ships there? What's their interest there? Uh, well, I, I don't know whether they necessarily have an interest there. Their interest is to show the United States that they're a blue, they have a blue water navy. I don't know where they're being. Isn't that unprecedented? Refueled. Yes, very much so. That's what I, I didn't understand. I see Chinese ships going to the Mediterranean. Like, what is that? That's awful belligerent. That's the kind of thing Russia maybe would do, but China? I don't get it. You know, the weird thing about Russia, like, there's only been two powers in the history of the world who've had worldwide navies, the British Empire and the, the Americans. And, I, and Russia didn't, and China doesn't, but I think they want to project the idea that they do. And, and kind of the reason is because you need bases all over the world to, to um, support a Blue Water Navy. And I think China has been making moves in that direction in the Indian Ocean because it wants to secure its ability to get Iranian oil. So they're, they're trying to build refueling bases like on the East Coast of Africa, I think they've got to deal with Sri Lanka, something like that. So I, I don't think they're quite ready to start patrolling the Atlantic, but I do think they want to claim the Indian Ocean as a Chinese reserve. Yeah, and I guess the other issue then is, does India have any interest one way or the other in that? Well, India doesn't like China. But, right, so you know. do they have to allow that? I, what do you do, right? I mean, you have to use soft power, right? You have to try to 
talk these countries out. It's like the Solomon Islands has now allowed Chinese military on to Guadalcanal. And like, where was the US State Department during this? I mean, because, you know, the Solomon Islands, you know, again, they're a sovereign country. But on the other hand, the United States spent a lot of guys and a lot of ships uh, conquering the Solomons um, from the Japanese. And just to hand them over to China, that should not have happened. We should have figured out a diplomatic way for Ed, that not to happen. Ed, you keep telling me that I've got a tinfoil hat, but my explanation <laughs> answers all of these questions. The State Department is run by Biden and Obama people. They are actively looking to subvert the United States and the United States interests. That's the only explanation that makes any sense. See, I agree with you, Ed, mostly. I do, because I think Obama for sure wanted to, quote, fundamentally transform, meaning weaken, humiliate, et cetera, et cetera. I agree it explains most things, in, including the border. But I want to switch subjects totally 100%. Ed M., the Supreme Court allowing this whole free speech thing to sort of stay there, that, that tech can police free speech until they get around to deciding next June or something. Is that surprising? How bad do you think that is? I know Alito and two others are pretty upset about it. There was a reversal of a reversal or something, right? The lower court was great, and then they got stayed. People get hung up on procedural stuff, and they don't understand the procedural stuff. I, this is this was not a substantive determination on the merits of the issue. This was just a question of should the lower court ruling be uh, take effect, or should it be wait, or should you wait until the appeals are 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 finished? And I mean, personally, I think I, I mean I agree with the with the three dissenters, but I can understand why the. Why the the others? I mean, it's not the other six. I mean, you know, Sotomayor, uh, Kagan, and um, Katanji uh, Brown Jackson. Yeah, yeah, they're they're going to vote. They already know how they're going to vote. They're not waiting to hear. They, they're not waiting to decide what the merits are. But I can understand Barrett and and um, Kavanaugh and the Chief Justice deciding. We need to, we, you know, we, we shouldn't make any kind of, uh, we shouldn't make any decision that affects the status quo going forward. We should just let, we should, we should wait and, and hear the merits of the case before we issue a ruling that changes anything. Right. Now, the, the original court ruled against the government, right? Then right. The next level stated or, or actually had a whole decision. They cut no, it. they narrowed it. Yeah, they, they narrowed it. it. Yeah. Right. So they narrowed it. So that was the status quo. So then it hit another court as well before the Supreme Court, right? No, no. The Supreme Court, uh, the government appealed the Fifth Circuit stay, the, the Fifth Circuit stay to the Supreme Court, and the Supreme Court overruled the partial stay. That hey, the weren't there, aren't there four levels here? Am I missing? No, there's only three. District appeals in the Supreme Court. 
Okay, so the district was good. The appeals court narrowed it. That's right. So the status quo is still a partial victory then. No, the Supreme Court said overruled the appeals court and there is no stay. The government can um, now censor speech by going and telling but, but, oh, so social media companies. Because no level of court allowed that. So that's where I'm lost. How is that status quo? The original court said government can't do anything. The next level said, well, let them do some things. And now no, this is where you're getting hung up on. You're not getting the procedural thing. Excuse me. The lower court didn't make a final ruling. The lower court just said, it looks like the government's going to, the, the Louisiana and Missouri are going to win. So because we think that they satisfy all the elements required to show that they're very likely to win, we're going to issue an injunction even before they win. We're going to give them an advance. Okay, so that's what I'm missing. So the Louisiana court was only a preliminary injunction kind of thing. Correct. That's what I was missing. Okay, so really the Supreme Court is saying we're blocking even that preliminary injunction. That's correct. Not even, only. That's all they're blocking. Okay. So, yeah, that makes a little more sense then. In other words, there was never really a full trial. There hasn't been. No. Okay. So the Supreme Court is now usurping that trial? What's happening then? No. They're going to hear an appeal on the preliminary injunction this term. But meanwhile, what's happening in the original case? Because isn't that what matters? Yeah, yeah, it's going on. It's going to take the two years. Case, case. It could be going through discovery. I mean, discovery, I think, is pretty much over. I'm not sure. I mean, I haven't looked at the docket. I, you know, you'd have to talk to the attorneys of record. Um, but ordinarily, when there's an appeal, well, I shouldn't say ordinarily. It really depends on the court and the situation. Sometimes the case proceeds sort of on a two-track basis. Other times... They hold, you know, it's basically a timeout while the appeal works its way through the higher courts. But it's kind of weird because the, the appeal is only on a, a stay, not a decision. So then there's a decision going on while they're appealing the stay. So if the court were to rule exactly what it ruled when granting the stay, the Supreme Court's action would then be moot. Because they're not talking about the case. If there's a final ruling, then final yeah, judgment. then they'll uh, then then the assume the side who loses will um, the side who loses will appeal that, and then there right, might be I'm another saying, stay. But ruling on the stay is moot if there is a final decision. Let's say it's final decision right. in Louisiana in April. Then we don't care what the Supreme Court says about the stay; it has no effect whatsoever. Exactly. Well, the, if, the, if the lower court issues a final ruling, then the Supreme Court will turn the case away and say it's moot. We right. won't, we're not going to rule on it. Right. And then a whole new case would have to wind its way back. No, then the, the final decision, the final judgment will wind up working its way through the appellate. Right. That's what I'm saying. It's a whole separate track. And you can't just say, OK, we're going to stay that, too, because you can't do that because you're not hearing that now. So... Well, the, the appeals court could stay the final decision. Suppose the final decision went against the government, as it should. It oh, I have no doubt the appeals, the appeals court. court will stay it. I have no doubt. I'm just saying 
that what the Supreme Court is doing now would be moot. Yes, they'll get another court to stay in any way, and it'll stay in the courts for another million years. Although if Trump became president and he used the government to stifle speech, I assume that the decision would turn on a dime. One would hope so. <laughs> and I assume I mean, Sotomayor would automatically, you know, become overnight free speech uh, advocate. Well, it's weird because in Florida, there is this law um, that uh, DeSantis signed that uh, it, it, it's very difficult to say, but it, it's a, it's what's called an anti-BDS law. And, and so it punishes people for advocating for, um, for advocating anti-Israeli policies. Like, um, what does BDS stand for again? Uh, boycott divestment and sanctions. Now, if I say, I think we should boycott Israel, uh, Dumb. But suppose I said that if I said that in Florida and I was a worker for Florida, you know, in some sort of Florida job, I, I work for, you know, I'm a school teacher, or I'm a janitor, I'm, I'm something like that, then I can be punished. And in fact, it's being used against some student group um, in uh, some Florida state school, you know, students for Palestine, one of those, you know, you, you get the idea. It's in and, Florida uh, State University and one other university, I believe. Yeah, and and that and the thing wasn't is, wasn't a good move on his part, huh? Well, he signed the bill in Jerusalem, so you can tell you can tell who he's trying to pander uh, to. When I didn't he did have it, a great get, feeling. My my gut first feeling was, what about free speech? Forget yeah. the part. It didn't smell great. I can make an argument that it's not so bad, but I don't think it was a really smart move. I don't know. I think he's trying to pander to a lot of the Jewish population of Florida, which there is a substantial uh, amount, as you know. But anyway, now the left is fighting this, right? And of course, another that because it's a violation of these students' free speech, and and it's the government. It's the same thing. I mean, it's basically the same thing. Although it's since it's limited to government employees or or government schools, that it, it like if if you went to Florida and said something like. I'm in favor of BDS. They couldn't touch you, but if you were a, a government employee, they could. Um, the there's another uh, free speech issue, and that is the um, DeSantis has tried to, uh, and many many states around the country now, thanks to Matt Walsh, are trying to ban pornographic books in in school libraries, and this this is being fought. Um, heavily by the left because it's obviously a, uh, a violation of free speech, they say. Although, again, we talked last week or the week before about how, you know, libraries have to be curated, collections have to be curated by someone. I don't see why parents can't have a say, but that's uh, beside the point. They're fighting that on free speech basis. So they're in favor of pornography. They're in favor of anti-Israel speech, but they're not in favor of, um, government restrictions on I hate to correct you but they're not in favor of pornography because when parents read it at a school board meeting they're absolutely not in favor it's only when it's in oh, yeah. classrooms that they're in favor yeah. which is exactly. so beyond and beyond that I I can't even can't even deal with that so again they're for destruction they want to destroy young people they want to destroy 
the strong. They want to destroy Americans. It all makes sense. I, yeah, I mean, there is there is the left is nihilistic, obviously. I mean, we 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 agree we agree <laughs> that it is. Um, the the question is, you know, it is other than just wanton destruction, you know, what is motivating? And I, I think you can. I think you can tell in some of these cases that there that there are motivations beyond um, just just nihilism. I, I think the Claude Piven kind of strategy is, you know, is is dominant, and that that is, you know, it looks like nihilism, but it really isn't, right? I mean, they want the end of the imperialist, patriarchal, capitalist American empire, you know, that sort of thing. You you name the buzzword. The environmental destructionists, the pro—have you noticed? Uh, sorry to get back on Palestine, but how large the pro-Palestinian rallies are in Europe and in the United States? I mean, hundreds of thousands of people are turning up for these for these uh, free Palestine rallies. Hundreds of thousands, not like four people, but um, even in the United States, tens of thousands of people are showing up. Um, and the United States just generally doesn't care. I mean, th this shot, this truly shocked me. How many people are showing up for these so rallies? They have a better ground game than they were give, given credit for. And like some people say, some of these rallies or riots or whatever you want to call them are not exactly totally spontaneous to get that many people together on such short notice. I think they're well organized. Well, Matt Walsh had an interesting. Uh, theory that he said, and he said, "Oh, it's just BLM. It's just it's the same people who are out protesting for BLM. It's just they have a new cause now. It's just whatever the cause." Well, of, I extent. mean, yes, there to are an extent. Yes, the professional. There, there okay. were American black organizers who were, you know, at the forefront of the BLM movement, and there there are sort of Palestinian American or Arab American people at the forefront. But the actual people, they're all the same people. Um. It's 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 the same grift. It's just met, you know replace BLM with you know it's, it's like my grandsons. You know every month they take a picture, one month, two months for his birthday, right? But I didn't realize until recently is there's two of them, one on each side. So it's like at these rallies, you just have a sign on the front. It says BLM, <laughs> on the back it says from Palestine, and you just oh which rally am I at? And you switch them. Yeah. So exactly. Yeah. Uh, so I, I think that, protesters are protesters and it sure beats work. Yeah. The one thing Matt Walsh also said was like in any dispute around the world, you have to decide which party is less white. Those are the good guys. And the party that's more white, those are the bad guys. And, uh, it, and I don't, I, and the Israelis are obviously, you know, more white than the Palestinians. What, what's so okay. hysterical about that is a Sephardic Jew and a Arab, you cannot tell apart, period. They are exactly the same. And, and the fact that one is lighter or darker, once in a while you see, because a lot of these settlements that were attacked are actually the Sephardic Jews. And I was listening to one of them on an Israeli station. You can't tell he's not an Arab. So the fact that one is lighter than the other is so random, and yet they get away with this thing. But, you know, I mean, the Ashkenazi uh, Jews are, are kind of dominant in Israel, and they're all they, they mostly are. European. They are, but I'm saying a lot of the people being killed here, you could not tell from their looks, from their accents, 
and a lot of the worldview, the difference between a Sephardic Jew and a Muslim. I mean, let's face right. it, they were in the same countries for hundreds of years together, and they have a lot in common. So to say one is lighter than the other, and by the way, they are light Arabs, right? Egyptians, a lot of them are yeah, white. yeah. And I mean, they're blonde haired, blue eyed Muslims, I think, in Syria. So, all right. What didn't we get to today, guys? Well, we didn't. I, I wore my Kyle Rittenhouse shirt and we didn't talk about the um, the uh, gun control ruling in, in Missouri, which is another sort of wild failure by the court system. Um, basically, the Missouri passed a law saying that no Missouri uh, law enforcement officer can help enforce certain, not all, but certain federal gun laws. And it's long been established in the legal system, the court system, uh, something called the non-delegation doctrine, which means that a federal law, you can't force states to enforce federal laws. And so this was a, a law passed by the state of Missouri um, that said, well, um, we're not going to, we're going to accept delegation of, of these particular federal gun laws. And it was like, okay, you know, I mean, there's nothing wrong with that. It, it's well decided. It, there's no question that the people of the state of Missouri have the right to do that. And yet it was immediately thrown out by the courts. I've not read the decision, but I'm sure it's extremely torturous uh, how they decided that, well, the non-delegation doctrine, non-delegation doctrine does not apply in this uh, gun case compared to uh, I don't think that would all be the a other places. Delegation doctrine, non-delegation just says that the legislature can't delegate legislative power to agencies. Uh, it's more along the lines of the old, uh, the Arizona SB 70, uh, 1070 bill where. Yeah, what's it called? I'm sorry, that was wrong. I was wrong. You're right. Uh, it's the non something. There is a. a it, uh, God, brain doesn't work. I apologize to those who've listened, but there is a, you know. Yeah, I know there is such a concept. I have to do Yes. You can't force the states to enforce federal law. The federal government enforces federal laws. The state governments force enforce state laws. Um, and the state governments can help the feds enforce federal laws, but they don't have to. Commandeering, non-commandeering doctrine. Excuse me. Jesus, what an idiot. That just goes to show when I get tired. Non-commandeering doctrine. Yeah, so this is kind of an interesting case because the state passed a law Biden sued, federal district judge says the law is unconstitutional, but the law remained in effect until the 8th U.S. Circuit Court, in a single sentence order, denied Missouri's request for a stay. So it's kind of the same procedural gobbledygook again. Right. It's kind of confusing me. So now Missouri wanted to stay on the appeals reversal of their law. And again, the Supreme Court said, no, you can't have a stay. So I don't know if this is, I'm too confused to know if this is the same decision or the opposite decision, but our side got screwed. Yeah, and I think that's basically the essence of the, um, of the ruling. I, there was a, um, 
a very detailed case in California where they tossed the the district court judge tossed the California law against um, magazines that hold more than ten rounds, and uh, and then it it um, it won in the appeals court too in the Ninth Circuit. And so the Ninth Circuit just said, okay, we're gonna do an on-bank appeal and they reversed it. And and that happened again. And uh, it's it's outcome-based jurisprudence. And 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 it smells like to those of us from the outside. And when you, and then when you see, you know, again, it's, it's the, what are Republicans good for? I mean, if, if, if the left is going to do outcome-based jurisprudence, I don't, I don't see why, you know, why we sacrificed so much uh, goodwill and political capital for Brett Kavanaugh and Amy Coney Barrett when they, when they betray their constituents, uh, you know, the people who got them appointed the position. Um, and even Neil Gorsuch extending Title IX to the trans people, which is ridiculous. I mean, it's just ridiculous. So it's like these three Trump justices, first of all, they aren't, obviously they aren't outcome-based jurisprudence, but on the other hand, if that's what the left is doing, that's what we need to demand from our judges from now on. It's like, who cares? We're the good guys. Get the outcome. Yeah. But, you know, Judges on the right often move left, move left. Judges on the left never move right. And that's been our history forever and ever that you can't trust a judge. So yeah. I, I, saw, I put up this case that a New York City can't deny gun licenses based on moral character. I would say that moral character is on its face so ridiculously vague um, that how that ever survived even for a minute, I'm not quite sure. I mean, if you does that mean that if you support, if you go to a free Palestine rally, could a Republican administration say you can't have a gun because we don't like your moral character? And moral character in whose eyes? It's just ridiculous. But again, the fact that a court said they can't enforce that, they'll just use another paragraph to say you can't have a gun. They're neg- never going to give you a gun. Yeah, I mean, I generally the law is if you're a felon you can't have a gun that that's an objective criteria right you right at least it's objective convicted of and and they'll find another convicted of a felon you know the the gun issue in israel which is keeps popping up that had the israelis been armed and had they been allowed this soldiers who when they're home on a weekend can't have a gun and then you can't have more than 50 bullets and how many people were killed by that and then in new york i mean the nypd is at my door again every day there's a lot of worry for Jewish establishments, but will anybody be able to get a gun in New York City because of it? I highly, highly doubt it. I believe New Jersey may be slightly easier. I, I don't know how much you're up on Jersey gun laws, but. Well, was, it used to be, I mean, New York City was impossible to get a gun. It wasn't impossible in New Jersey. It was just very hard. Right. That That's my understanding now is New Jersey. There are certain people who are actually going to try and start a process because there's a lot of big Jewish communities there who are worried and New York city, I assume it will always be impossible unless you bribe the right guy. So, okay. Adam, what didn't we get to that you wanted to get to or what wonderful statement do you have to clean it all up? 
I don't have any wonderful statement. I think we had a good show. You're, you're black-pilled. Yeah. yeah, I saw that Ted Cruz was accused of something that I'm the expert at the other day of jinxing his team. And apparently the Astros fans are blaming him for going down. So I have hey, to- I'm a Philly fan, so uh, I I'm just as depressed as uh, Astros fans. Who is it now? Rangers against whom? Diamondbacks. Arizona Diamondbacks. Yeah. Anybody got a horse in that one? I just am very nope. opposed to the expanded baseball playoffs. You mean that it goes through <laughs> the whole winter? Why would that be a problem? Because baseball is the one sport where there actually is a fair amount of luck involved. And even the worst team beats the best team 30 to 35% of the time. And to put the best teams into a five or seven game series against mediocre teams is not fair to the better teams, in my opinion. 100%. The team with the best record should not be able to be eliminated till the very, very end. I agree. But also the fact that baseball, when I was a kid, started the very end of April and was done the very beginning of October, late September. And now it goes the entire year round, it seems, is, you know, it starts out in the freezing cold and it ends in the freezing cold. Well, I mean, the football season's now 18 weeks. It used to be 14. And all we see is nothing but injuries. It's like the people who win are the people who, who, who survive, you know, the team who survive. Yeah, it's a, it's a survival game rather than uh Right. And now apparently with all these games in London, people have to get up out of bed on Sundays to watch some of the games, which may be a good thing. But maybe Europe will finally give in and realize that football means what we say it means. Hopefully. With that, hopefully that'll entice Daniel to come back next week from the UK and argue with us on that very important topic. We will be back next week. Same time, same channel. And please send feedback to the Conservatarian Exchange at libertyblock.com. Have a wonderful evening.